6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 22 through 24. The great shepherd. He's, a, he's the one that he cares and equips us in Hebrews 13. He's the great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. He died for the sheep. The Father gave them to him to take care of, and he can brag in John 18 that he has lost none of them. In John 17, 12, and also in John 18, 9, that's a primary boast of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if you're saved, you were given to him by the Father. And he can make the boast that of the ones that have been given to him, he has lost none. Prosecution rests. Let's go through this a little more carefully. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The verb there, by the way, is a participle. The Lord is shepherding me. It's continuous, present tense. Guarded, led, provided, food, rest. Care, bruised, all that sort of thing. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside the still waters. Sheep won't drink from fast-moving streams. So they have to dam a little bit to make it calm for them to deal with it. He leads gently, the term implies, the way it's stru grammatically structured. Led gently. He restoreth my soul, leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. The paths there is a term for ruts, by the way. Well-worn ruts. Hebrews 39 says, avoid strange teachings. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This, by, to many, is the central verse of the passage. The personal pronoun changes from he to thou or you. See, David is not speaking about the shepherd. He's speaking to the shepherd here. There's a change in structure. He is beside us, leading and calming our fears, our shepherd is. Thy rod and thy staff. What rod? It's a cudgel for defense. This isn't a shepherd's crook. That's a staff. Did you ever know, did you know that? Top of every staff there's a crook? Did you know that? Little pun there. Okay, never mind. All right. No, the shepherd had a, a cudgel to, be, to defend the sheep, and he had a crook to guide them and assist them, or counting them, or examining them. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. The term table here is a synecdoche. It's the, it's the specific for the general, or the general for the specific. Man, Dan, you've got some nice wheels there. Am I talking about his tires? No, I'm talking about his car. I'm using, you know, we, you, you, you follow what I'm getting at? So it's, that's a synecdoche. We, we use the, 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 the species for the genus. In some cases, you use the genus for the species. That's a figure of speech. I, he presented a table. Does he mean a table with four legs? No, no. The cuisine, the food, what you're going to eat, you see. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. That's what they did at the end of the day for the bruises they might have incurred. 
uh, form of care. My cup runneth over. Indeed. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Back when we were very active in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I was very tempted to go get a couple of cocker spaniel puppies and tie them to the front door of Chuck Smith and have them labeled goodness and mercy. Fairly goodness and mercy will follow all this. Anyway, I never quite got around to that, but anyway. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This, by the way, is the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8.28. And it's not a reference to the temple. Because the king did not, David's writing, king did not reside in the temple. That was for the priests. When he says the house of the Lord here, he's talking about eternity in the Father's house forever. John 17, first half dozen verses. And what's also pictured here implicitly is the fact that the shepherd would lie, at night they put the sheep in a, in a, in a enclosure, with a door, and the shepherd would sleep across the door to, to, so the sheep couldn't get out and that, to protect the sheep from any from outside intruders. And Jesus makes reference to that in John 10. Anyone that doesn't come in by the... I am the door. Anyone that comes in any other way is a thief and a robber. And also Romans in uh, Revelation 7 deals with that. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I shall not lack provision. I shall not lack peace. Because you beside the still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness. I shall not lack guidance. These are what the summaries here. I shall not lack courage of that dark hour. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I shall not lack true comfort. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not lack protection, preservation, or honor. Thou anoints my head with oil. I shall never lack joy. That's what oil typically speaks of here. My cup runneth over. I shall never lack fullness of the blessing. Never be rationed. I got all I need. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall not lack divine favor during my earthly life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall not lack a heavenly home when my earthly tour is over. That's what it says. Let's stand back for a minute and go back to Golgotha. Pilate's there, and what startles me is that he apparently personally wrote a titlon to put on the cross. Pilate wrote a titlon, or a title, and put it on the cross. The writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. That's surprising. Hebrew, obviously, because he was Jewish. Greek, because that was the widely used language of commerce in that day. Latin was coming, wasn't really established yet, but that was the official language of the Roman Empire. Pilate was skilled in all three, and he personally apparently did this. Now, any time you and I may miss something, the priests come to our rescue. Here's the epitaph. Here's what he wrote. He actually wrote, Yeshua, Hanatzerai, Vimelech. Remember, all languages go flow toward Jerusalem, right? All nations east of Jerusalem go from right to left. All nations west of Jerusalem go from left to right. I just thought you'd like to know that. I don't know what you're going to do with that piece of information, but we're going. Hebrew goes left to right. So, Yeshua, Nazarai, Vimelech, Ha Yehudin. What does that mean? Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Straightforward, right? Anytime you and I would miss something, 
The chief priests come to our rescue. Whenever they're upset, there's a half a dozen of those places where they get upset, check it out because that's the Holy Spirit's way of underlining something. Don't miss this. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And I love Pilate's response. This is one of his great ones in my mind. What I have written, I have written. In fact, what he actually said is what I have written will always remain written. And boy, indeed it does. Pilate is apparently deliberately sticking the needle in because he is aware of how Jews like acrostics. Many of the Psalms are acrostics. All the way through the Bible, there are acrostics where they, start, they go alphabetically or something. Pilate's epitaph, if you take the first letter of each word, spells yod heh vav the unpronounceable name of God. And he apparently did that deliberately. He did that as a way of putting the needle into these guys that put him in this spot. to put. He wanted to get out of this... He, Half a dozen different ways. So that's why they're upset, because he's putting it in terms that are very Jewish and that are authoritative. yod vav Yahweh to some people. There's all kinds of arguments about exactly how you pronounce it because the vowels aren't pointed. yod vav Many rabbis will just pronounce the letters rather than pronounce the word. There are seven compound titles of Jesus Christ. Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide... Rapha, the Lord healeth, the Lord our shalom, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, Jehovah Tzitkanu, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord uh, ever present, Shema, Lord Nisi, the Lord our banner, and finally, Yahweh uh, the, the Lord our shepherd. It's interesting to, and these are all uh, Genesis, Exodus, Judge, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Exodus, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, that's Jehovah Ra. I shall not want. I lack nothing. That's Jehovah Jireh. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That's Jehovah Jireh. I shall not lack provision, in other words. He leadeth me beside the still waters. That's Jehovah Shalom. I shall not lack peace. He restoreth my soul. That's Jehovah Rapha. I shall not lack restoration. He leadeth me the paths of righteousness. That's Jehovah uh, Zitkanu. And uh, the courage and so forth. I shall not lack courage, Yahweh Shama. Thou prepares the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. That means I shall not lack protection, preservation, and honor, Yahweh Nissi. So you've got all these uh, the, 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 the compound names of Yorevave are exemplified in the shepherd's song. Okay. We've got one more. Can you make it? I think so. We go from our suffering Savior, who is also our living shepherd, we now are going to get a glimpse of him as the exalted sovereign in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. He hath founded upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath a clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. And then we have this curious word, Selah. 
Some people think it's a musical annotation. Others think it's a, connect, it's a pause to connect thoughts. Then we have the interesting close on this one. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lift up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah again. This apparently is an antiphonal psalm. There's a Levitical chorus that opens with the first two verses. Then a leader asks the question. And then the Levitical chorus answers that from verses 4 through 7. The leader then asks the question, who is this king of glory? And the chorus answers, left half of verse 8 and then verse 9. The leader asks the same question a second time and gets a second answer, which ties it off. This was clearly meant to be sung. Not all of them were. Maybe they all were sung. Many of them are more like poems. Many of them are clearly designed to be musically rendered. There's a tradition that this, is associated, this psalm is associated with David's bringing the Ark of the Covenant and, incidentally, the mercy seat, which is perhaps even more relevant, to Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 6, 1 Chronicles 15. There's some evidence, apparently, that it was sung in Herod's temple every Sunday, which is kind of interesting, because Sunday was, that was the day after Shabbat. How interesting. But if that's the case, then this was probably sung at the triumphal entry, in any case. Seems to fit in many ways, if you start studying that. The early church assigned this uh, psalm to be read on Ascension Day, which is 40 days after the resurrection. Those are just traditions that are interesting. It was certainly recognized that this is a very special form of exaltation. The Psalm of David, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Boy, indeed, we could spend a lot of time talking about how the earth is indeed the Lord's and everything in it. And yet there's a specific piece of ground that he puts his name on, and that's what the world is contesting even this, to this day. The earth is the theater of the universe, of all the stars in the universe. This one has a planet around it that God has chosen uniquely, and we now begin to understand how uniquely that's called the anthropic principle. As we start to make a model of everything we know about the universe, we discover there are an astonishing number of ratios that if you change even one part in a million, it all falls apart. That man, that this is, it's as if the universe is designed for man. That's why they call it, the secular people call it the anthropic principle. How fascinating. In fact, now they're also discovering the teleological principle. It's not only been designed for man to live, it's been designed so that man could discover. There are all kinds of mathematical relationships that are tailored so that man could discover. And I won't start on that here. We won't, we won't make it, so let's go on. The earth is the theater of the universe. Why? Because it's the scene of the greatest drama ever played. God chose a planet, a people, and a land, and he sent his son there to live, to minister, and to die, to be raised from the dead, all so that sinners could be saved. Bizarre extreme that God went to for us. The more you learn about us, the more you're puzzled at why did he bother? I'm glad he did. He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. We're always puzzled by that when you get in Genesis where it emphasizes that. But anyway, that's all through the Bible. Not only in Genesis 1, 6, 49, it's through a number of the Psalms and elsewhere. Who sh Here we have this question raised. Who shall ascend 
into the hill of the Lord. Who shall stand in his holy place? And by the way, in your notes, you can, I won't take the time here, but just jot down Psalm 15. Psalm 15 is a parallel passage for this whole thing. But I will call your attention to Revelation chapter 5, where the same question, in effect, is asked. Before the redeemed, as they stand around the 24 thrones and so forth, it says, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither look thereon. We don't understand what's going on, but John did, because he sobbed convulsively. Till an elder says, hey, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book. And you know, the story goes on. Same question, different response. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. And then the Selah, the, the pause to connect it all. And that's Psalm 15 is your, your repackaging of this whole thing. Then we have this interesting question. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. The king of glory shall come in. And then apparently the leader says, who is this king of glory? And the response is, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Okay, good so far. But then the whole thing's repeated. The same question, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. The king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? Comes the question again. The Lord of hosts is the king of glory. Selah. Now, if you're a normal, well-adjusted person, you say, gee, that's a pretty psalm, and you move on. But if you've been to one of my Bible studies, you know you're no longer a normal, well-adjusted person. When you come across a double thing like this, you wonder why. Why, did it, why was it asked twice? Well, first of all, let me admit, I don't really know. But that's never slowed me down to indulge in some conjectures. Is it possible that this was sung that first triumphal entry morning? when he rode that donkey in, but was rejected and wept over Jerusalem because of that rejection? He was rejected the first time. Maybe the second time, he won't be rejected. In fact, it's rather fascinating to go to Acts 7 and study Stephen's presentation. This young guy is presenting to the Sanhedrin, of all people, a history lesson on Israel's history. And he goes through his presentation. He's interrupted and does, he's not allowed to finish. They stone him. But I encourage you to take that Acts 7 and outline his talk and try to figure out where he's headed. You'll discover that all the way through his talk, he points out that Israel always blows it the first time at Kadesh Barnea and gets it right the second time. They blow it the first time they get it right the second time. The first time, they crucify him. The next time, they'll get it right. Follow me? Twice. This uh, uh, um, psalm was apparently um, sung at uh, Ascension Sunday, 40 days after resurrection. And maybe the echo of it is looking to his return, his ascension and his return. And uh, just a thought... Okay, we made it pretty much on time. We talked about the suffering Savior in Psalm 22, the good shepherd of John 10, the living shepherd in Psalm 23, the great shepherd as Hebrews 13 would identify him, 
and the exalted sovereign. So we have the suffering Savior, the, the attending, ministering Christ, and then we have the exalted Christ in Psalm 24, the chief shepherd. The good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd by some people's rendering. Interesting group of, of, of songs. Great songbook. Just a sampler, obviously, of what we can expect in the book of Psalms. The good news is there's 147 others in there, some of which even more dramatic, maybe not more dramatic, but certainly uh, uh, provocative. And uh, so for your next session, I encourage you to read Psalm 25 through 30. I suggest you read them at least 14 times each. What do I really mean by that? Meditate on them. Don't just read them through once, but try to digest them. Jeremiah says, thy words are found and I did eat them. And John does the same, same thing in, in Revelation 10. Digest them. There's no, there's no accident that God uses animals that chew the cud to be idiomatic of the clean animal in contrast to the ones that are not. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we stagger as we try to consider the agony not only of our Lord on that cross, but the agony of a father loving us so much to allow his son to endure that, that we might have our debts paid in full. Debts that we can only begin to get a glimpse of. And yet, debts that would bar us from an eternity that you've planned for us. But Father, we are astonished as we begin to get a apprehension of just what extremes you've gone to that we might live. Indeed, Father, we thank you for this incredible creation we find ourselves in. We thank you, Father, for the abundance that you shower upon us. We know, Father, that every good thing comes from, by, comes from your hand. And yet, Father, we stagger as we embrace or try to embrace what you have done for us. We begin to understand the agony in Gethsemane as our Lord Jesus, knowing what was coming and fearing not the physical torture. We realize he was crucified on a cross of wood, yet he made the hill on which it stood. He, at any time, he could have said, enough, I'm out of here. And yet, what staggered him, what caused him to sweat blood in Gethsemane was the realization that he, for a time, would be forsaken of the fellowship of the Father. Oh, Father, we, we wonder of these details that were laid down 
centuries before the event. In such detail and in such pathos that we even now find it hard to go through. Father, we would just pray that you would help us through your Holy Spirit understand what you have done for us. And Father, we would pray that through your Holy Spirit and through the counsel of your word, that these things would alter and impact our priorities. That we somehow would get things right. Putting you not just number one on our list, but it's a list of one. For you're what it's all about, Father. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We do pray, Father, that you would just reignite in each of us a, a renewed passion for your truth, your word, your counsel. That we might grow in understanding of our Lord and Savior. That we might be more effective stewards of the opportunities that you've opened before us. Give us that discernment and give us the courage and the resolve to bear fruit for your kingdom as a small token of our gratitude for the astonishing gifts that you've already accomplished on our behalf. We commit ourselves into your hands without any reservation whatsoever. Indeed, in the name of Yeshua, Yodhevavheh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our great shepherd indeed. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Mm -hmm.